The second Bible reading comes from the book of Revelations, chapter 6, verse 1 to 8. Can you find a pew Bible? Uh, page 1290. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Then another horse came out, a fire red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Rose, for reading God's word to us this morning. We, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Revelation chapter uh, 6 as we look at uh, these eight verses. Uh, let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. Uh, we humbly sit under your teaching this morning. Father, we pray that your spirit will help us to understand this passage, to apply it in our hearts and lives, and that we will go out from this place with confidence, with assurance in our great God, in our great Savior, Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, uh, this morning we continue uh, to work our way. We'll see how we go. We may not work our way right through the whole book, but certainly we're going to look at uh, uh, this section uh, this morning. I know that some of you are doing the book of Revelation with B- at BSF. Is that correct? Uh, you've shared that with me, so you're probably better uh, scholarly the book than myself this morning. So we'll see how we all work our way through this uh, particular uh, section this morning. I wonder how many of you have done horse riding. Any, anyone tried horse riding? Ah, a few of you. Thank you. Did you were, you succe- were you successful in your horse riding? Hmm? Did you have any falls? Don't worry, don't be embarrassed. I did. <laughs> I tried horse riding back in Nurat, first time in my life. Because if you live in the country in Western Victoria, they had the pony club. Uh, where kids went and learned to ride horses. Uh, we had people in our congregation, in particular one person who was a great instructor and trainer of horses. And she said, well, Chris and family, come along, uh, learn to ride horses. And so, gallop, gallop, here we go. I tell you, it's a nice experience. And you've got to have your balance. And it's all good. And last night, we had some friends over for dinner. And we were watching the Olympics. Speaking of the Olympics, what a shame we lost 
the basketball, eh? Did you get up at 8 o'clock yesterday morning to look? No, oh, come on. We lost it. And last night we had the equestrian, those horses. What magnificent, beautiful animals those horses were. Galloping and jumping over all those hurdles. Beautiful. Well, i got to say this as well. If you're watching sports, uh, just to remind you that some nation lost 3-0 in the cricket. <laughs> that nation shall remain unnamed. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? So I just want to, I thought I'd just put that one in as well. I find it very fascinating, friends. When Australia seems to be winning in the cricket and so forth, I get various text messages on my phone from lovely people in this congregation. In the last few weeks, they've been very quiet. I wonder why. Anyway, let's come back to our more important things here this morning. Well, we're going to journey with John today and uh, look further into the throne room of heaven. Last week, or a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the first part of Revelation chapter 5. Uh, if you look at Revelation chapter 5, we saw a scroll that was written on both sides in the right hand of God, which had seven seals. No one, no one was worthy of opening the, the scroll and to break its seal. Uh, John, a man in his 90s, vanished in the island of Patmos, he wept. An elder says to him, do not weep, calls on John to behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, that is Jesus, who has conquered, is worthy of opening the scroll. The lion has prevailed. This victorious lion of the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49. The root of David. Isaiah chapter 11. But when John looked up, he would have perhaps expected to see a lion. Instead, he saw a lamb. A blood-stained lamb. Like one who had been uh, slain in the midst of the throne. Here, the lamb of God is Jesus Christ. It is said that Jesus is called the lamb of God 23 times in the book of Revelation. Jesus is the lion lamb. We already established, friends, that the scroll represented God's plan and purposes for the ages. It was written on both sides, indicating that it was totally full, with no gaps for man to fill in any gaps, so to speak. That is, God knows what's written on the next page, and he knows what's written on the last page. Nothing takes our God by surprise. Nothing. And John can see right into the throne room of heaven in his vision. But he cannot see what's written on the scroll with its seven seals. The future, as John saw, did not lie in the church's leaders or the world leaders. Rather, it was in the hands of God. If we were to bring all the brilliant men all the brilliant women in human history to the scroll, there is not one who can open it or even take a peep into it. None of mankind is worthy. Why? Because we are sinners. We have sinned against God and there is only one who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll and that is Jesus Christ the sinless Lamb of God. Correct? We have sinned against this God. And so we saw last time that Jesus alone is worthy. And so this morning, in fact in chapter 5, there were four living creatures, the 24 elders representing uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament church. 10,000 times 10,000 angels all broke out and we saw that last time. 
they broke out and they sang the song of redemption, the song of angels, and the song of creation. And so when we come to Revelation chapter 6, and the seals are opened, John, who is banished in the island of Patmos, gives us a description of not what he heard, but what he saw. And so this morning, we are going to look at four seals, which forms a unit, so to speak. And it's referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse, that's of the revelation. And so we see these four horses this morning. What's the symbolism of these horses? Let me say this as well, friends. The book of Revelation is a picture book. And we have images given in this book And what are we to make of this symbolism this morning? In the Bible, horses are mentioned in connection with conquest of warfare, terror, uh, strength, and vitality. Horses are magnificent animals, aren't they? Beautiful to see, wonderful to ride. Uh, They are majestic animals of strength. And so here in Revelation chapter 6, these are not real horses and riders sent from heaven but are symbols. And the question is, what do they represent? This morning, we're going to look at these four horses. The white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse. What are we to make of all of these horses and their riders? Well, let's uh, work our way through, eh? Now John says, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the living, four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Now John looks, and he sees this horse, a white one with his rider. White was the color of victory. I think it's beautiful to see a white horse. Well, for some of us who live uh, in this area, we live in the city of white horse, right? <laughs> you know that, right? I'm sure when we get our, all the bills and all sent to us, it's a white horse. We live under the city of white horse here. Yeah. Well, the white was the color of victory. It is said that many warriors who had won battles rode white horses. That symbolized victory. And so this horse and its rider came out conquering and to conquer. And therefore the white horse, in my understanding, represents one who is a conqueror. And so now since the rider goes out to conquer and rides on a white horse, there are some commentators, and I respect them, who connect this particular horse, that's this white horse and its rider, to the image of Revelation chapter 19, which is a reference to Jesus riding upon a white horse. That's what we see there in Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness. He judges and makes war. Well, what are we to make of this? They may be right with this interpretation, but there are good reasons, I believe, to see that this horse... And its rider in our passage, in my humble understanding, uh, is not Jesus riding a white horse. Uh, I think uh, that's my take on this passage. I say this because, I say this because it is unlikely, I think, that Jesus who breaks the seal will himself come out in obedience to this voice of the living creature. 
Now you might have another understanding there. There are also others who say that when this is read in the light of Matthew and Mark, Matthew 24, Mark 13, which are both reference to the end times, that the white horse here and its rider symbolizes the power of the conquering gospel. So they say it's the gospel that seems to be represented here. Well, friends, this horse, notice, its rider had a bow. He had a crown that was given to him. So we get the picture here, I think, that this rider on the white horse is a victorious warrior. He has a victor's wreath, a crown which has been given to him. And I think this tells us that though he thought that his own power brought about victory, it was because it was given to him. It was given to him by the one who is above him. And so the white horse and its rider is under God's control. He has only what God has given to him. And so this white horse stands, in my understanding, for triumphant victory of conquest. And when we look at the Old Testament history, for example, we see the Assyrians who conquered. We see the Babylonians. Remember that? Nebuchadnezzar and so forth. But though they are mighty conquerors, they were able to go only so far because God allowed them to do so ultimately to work out his plan and purposes. And so when we look at the history of this world, we see real conquest that has been made in the world. Alexander the Great, you read of him, I'm sure. Augustus Caesar of the great Roman Empire. We think of Hitler. Terrible things that he's done. Some of you may have visited the concentration camps. I mean, we visited one in Germany a couple of years ago. It took us days. It took us days to recover, having been there, to see the terror that took place. We think of it in recent years. Countries being invaded by other countries. For example, a few years ago when Kuwait was invaded by Iraq. So, however, friends, these conquests may not be limited just to empires or conquering nations by military power. I think it could also include other forms of conquest in this world. For example, secular humanism that is seeking to conquest our secular with secular ideology. You know what is going on, don't you, in this world today. All the social engineering, perhaps, that's going on behind the scenes. The redefinition of sexuality. That boys are not to be called boys or girls not to be girls. I don't know. What, what are we to call? What are we to call them? <laughs> there are no boys' toilets and females' toilets. and So it's all one. I mean, this, 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 this craziness that's going on, right? We see these things coming in. Perhaps that we are about economic conquering that goes on in the world, the suppression of other nations by those who are rich, bringing economic manipulation in the world. Uh, think about the one human, one world movement. I was reading about that this past week. Have you read about that? The one world, one move, one human, one human, one world movement. Have a read of that manifesto. Pretty scary stuff there, which believes in no boundaries. No visas to countries, no one, one, it has to be one currency, um, no country divisions, nothing is mentioned of Christianity. It's just all oneness. And it's been pushed as well. 
So the point I want to make this morning is that this, this horse with its rider, I believe, is a conqueror. And has been in history and can take other forms of military conquest as well as other forms of conquest in this world. And we are not to be surprised when these conquests play out in the arena of the world, knowing that they have only what God gives to them. What an assurance that is, isn't it? They may think we've got everything. We are the powerful ones. We set the agenda in this world. We govern the things of this world. It is in our hands to do things. No, no. Somehow, it's under the providence of God. Do you believe that? It's hard, isn't it? What about the red horse? Let's keep going through. Verse 3 and 4. When he opened the second seal, I, I heard the, the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. What a scary picture this one is. The second seal is opened by Jesus. We see again the living creature speaking or calling out, Come. And out came this red horse in the Greek. In the original text, it's a fiery horse. Symbolizing, I believe, blood. It is the color of wrath, bloodshed, and war. It's a fiery horse. And this horse with its rider symbolizes the horror and the terror of war with peace taken away from the earth. Its rider is given power to take peace from the earth and make men slay each other. And so he's given a large sword. It is war. It is terror. Bringing about bloodshed, the color red. And now friends, we know from history the horrors of wars, don't we? Some of you may have lived through the horrors of war. World War II, for example. Only a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, in fact, I was sitting with my father-in-law. And uh, he's, he's a prolific writer still. He writes in the Dutch Courier. Um, and he's, he knows his history very well. And he was sharing with us the horror that he and his parents and his sibling face, siblings faced in Holland during World War II. I, in fact, spoke to him last week and said, tell me something more about your brothers. Because both his brothers were in a concentration camp in a place called Amersfoort in, in, in Holland. And in the providence of God, one escaped. And the other was released again in the providence of God because of some sickness. And, and, and he shared the, the horrors of it, not knowing what was to become of his brothers. And they had to move from one place to another. Some of us have lived through civil wars. I lived through that in Sri Lanka myself. With bombs exploding around me. Uh, remember I was married to Rose and we were back in Sri Lanka. And I, I missed a bomb explosion about 10 minutes from where I was. And I had no mobile phones at that time to contact Rose. She did not know where I was. I was somewhere in Colombo and in the providence of God saved me and so it was all okay. We've lived through those things. The horrors of war. So what are we to see in our text here this morning friends? We see the calamity of war with peace going to pieces don't we? In this world. I remember once uh, starting a debate at school and the opposition team was there and the subject was, is peace possible in our times? And I had to get up and speak in favor of that topic. 
So I got up and said, yeah, yeah, peace is possible in our times. And, and I gave them a, you know, all the points. And then the opposition uh, speaker got up. The first speaker, I still remember, he said, you know what, friend, friends, massive audience here now. I just want to say that peace has gone to pieces in this world. <laughs> With that one statement, he hit me as well. And I knew in my heart what this guy is saying is true. Peace has gone to pieces. And we look at our world, don't we? And we think, what is happening in this world? Jesus said this, Matthew 24. When you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. It's a reality. The rider and horse symbolizes the horrors of war. And with this rider given power to take peace from the earth, make men slay each other. Now what about the black horse? Have a look at your text, verses 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius. You might have a different translation in your NIV Bibles. And three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and wine. Again, the voice of the third living creature makes the call saying, Come, come. And as John looked, the white and red horses are followed by another horse, a black horse. It's right at a pair of scales in his hand, which is an unusual piece of equipment for a rider of a horse, isn't it? Imagine that, the horse rider with a pair of scales in his hands. Perhaps not the type of scales that we are, we, we are used to now. We've got electronic scales, but you know the type of scales, right? You put the weights on both sides and you keep the balance. I remember those scales very well in Sri Lanka. I used to go and buy stuff like meat and so forth. Not like we have it so wonderfully packed here in Australia. We buy meat, meat from the side of the streets. Sometimes in the markets, of course, now it's changed. And each time, I used to buy a kilo of meat or something, the guy puts it on the scale and he puts the weight and his knife is on this side. So the scales tip in this way. So I'm not actually getting a kilo I knew the trick, and he knew I knew the trick, so it's all good in the end. The scales. Tip this way or the other way, isn't it? And, and, and look at it. The, the, when John heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures who were saying, a quarter of wheat for a denarius and, a, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, do not harm the oil and wine. You see, friends, a quarter of wheat for a denarius. Denarius was, the, was the, the, the money that was paid for a... Uh, laborers full day's wage just to buy food itself. It would buy, um, we see here the wheat or as well as the barley. In the ancient world, barley was cheaper than wheat and was of a lower quality. It was eaten by the poor and wheat was more expensive than barley. And the pair of scales, I think, is symbolic of the fact that there is not enough food for everyone. And so it has to be carefully weighed and carefully distributed. And I think what, is, what this is indicating is that the distribution of food is scarce, pointing to famine. I think this all symbolizes in some way economic hardship, famine. We know this is the case in the world. And we notice here that famine does not affect everyone as well. 
Do not harm the oil and the wine. The oil and wine would, I think, suggest that the rich are able to afford more quality foods than those who are poor. Think about us. We are so blessed in Australia, aren't we? We can go to a supermarket and we can buy good food. We can buy anything we like, can't we? Now, I remember eating craft uh, cheese. I love craft. I don't know whether you love it. I see some of you. So, uh, last week, you know, in my house, we got cheese, of course, because I'm married to a Dutch lady, and she buys Edam cheese, the good old Dutch cheese. We were at a Dutch shop the other day in Berwick. Rose goes there. I go to the Asian shop. So you can understand the combination. Eh? It really works well in our house. Anyway, I went the other day myself to the shops. I had to buy some things. I went to Safeway. I saw Kraft cheese. I thought, man, I'll buy this one. No one's going to eat Kraft cheese in my house because they don't. <laughs> That's big slab, this size, was six bucks or something. Bought it. Just, and it's been cut every day. And with a cracker, I tell you, it's a cracker of a treat. <laughs> the point is, the point is this. The point is this. We are so blessed with food, but there is a famine. And people are not. And this world is affected by those who can't buy anything. And how tragic that is, isn't it? The scales are tipped. And there are children who are starving. Parents who can't give their kids food. You think about that. How hard it must be. That's the world that we live in. Brokenness affected by sin. Wars, terror, disaster, famine, poverty. A broken world. And then, there's the pale horse. When John, when, when he opened the fourth seal, John says, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. This, this, this is the first time that the rider is named, by the way, in our text. It's got a name. Its name is Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the, of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and with wild beasts of the earth. Again, the voice says, come. And this time it's a pale horse. In fact, this is the rider is named Death. The pale is the color of death. The original word in the, in the Greek translation would be the word from which we get the word chlorine. It's called chloros, which gives us an idea of a yellowish green color. In other words, he saw this horse as the color of a corpse. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? To see a dead person. The color changes. Life is gone. Death has come. The rider's name is death. And there's one thing in life, friends, that is for sure. And that is death. Certain? This tax time is, uh, well, we are, we are asking, fill in our tax returns, aren't we? You know, two things are common in life. Taxes are certain in life. Taxes and death. And one thing is for sure. Death and disease come to every family. We all have painful stories. 
which weighs on our hearts. The death of a close loved one or a friend. Our stories all have a similar theme because we are all sons and daughters of Adam in whom we all die because we have all sinned in him and fall into a state of sin and misery. Every man will face death, whether old, young, rich or poor. And when it comes to dying, there are no favorites. And the fact is that every community may not have a five-star restaurant or a mega shopping center, but every community has a graveyard and a funeral parlor. Right? Even the smallest communities. I remember when I went to Nurat, and we, when we were in Nurat, and I thought, man, is there a funeral undertaker here? Before long, he came to our place. He introduced himself because he knew it's a good thing to do, keep the business going. And I got another guy, and there's a funeral. As a funeral, there's a funeral parlor, even in a little town like Nurat. And there's a graveyard outside in Terang. Every place, every community as a graveyard. And so we see in our text that death is mentioned here. And it's followed by Hades, which means the realm of death. Hades is the place of the departed spirits. You can read of it in Acts chapter 2. For example, we read, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. For the believer, we believe, will live with Christ in eternity. Hades is the realm of the dead. But both dead Death and Hades symbolizes, friends, I believe, the termination of life and is therefore inseparable. And so we read that these horsemen were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and wild beasts of the earth. We see destructive methods of death, wars, famine, disease, beasts of the earth, all of these symbolizing that there is death Throughout the history of this world, a fourth of the world's population dies as a result. I think it's given us the idea that as we look at this world, throughout history, death is part of this world. It may come through famine, through wars, through terrorism, through whatever it is. This is. Friends, it seems to me, as we wind up this section this morning, it seems to me, that all four horses and their riders in chapter 6 symbolizes disastrous events. They are to be taken together, I believe, to indicate conquest, famine, economic hardships, wars, destruction and death itself, which keeps on recurring throughout the history of this world. And I think we need to understand that we live in the midst of these kinds of situations in this world. And today we are well aware, for example, the threats that's before us. And what the seals brings and reminds us is that no independent forces can act by themselves apart from God permitting them to act. The four horses and the riders are sent. They are commanded by God's four living creatures to ride forth and are permitted to do what they do. And as those who have placed their faith in Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, I want to encourage us this morning to be comforted, to be encouraged in our faith. I don't want us to go from this place feeling depressed and asking the question, what's the purpose? What's the purpose, Chris? No, no. I think what we need to understand is this world is broken. 
correct? This world will have wars. This world will have famines. This world will have disasters. Death will be, is part of this world. And we need to look at this world from God's perspective. Yeah? Because when we look at it from our perspective, it seems all lost. And it is. But when we understand it from God's super view of this world, life, I think, begins to make sense. <laughs> and when tragedy and sickness and disease and death and famine and poverty and terrorism and all of these things takes place, we have a God who understands it, knows it, and I know some people have a difficulty with that. They might say, I'm angry with God. Have you heard that? Even people who perhaps have been at church, I'm angry with God. When I look at this world, I had one person in fact say to me, a long time back, I'm angry with God when I look at this world. Why doesn't he care? Why is he permitting this to happen? Does he actually care? Well, he does. He's not the author of evil. He's not the author of sin. But our sin itself is causing all of these to take place under his providence, under his will. We have to live, friends, this morning, I think, and I hope, with confidence, with assurance, knowing that no matter whatever happens in this world, we have a shelter in our God. No matter what happens in this world, nothing takes place outside the sovereignty of the eternal God and His Son, the Lion Lamb. This is our comfort. And I want to encourage us this morning to live confidently in Christ, the Redeemer, trusting Him, knowing Him, loving Him, serving Him, understanding the times and saying, God, I don't understand everything, perhaps even in the book of Revelation, I don't even understand what's going to take place in the future, but one thing I do know, that everything is permitted under your providential care and you will sustain your church, your people. That's the hope. So we read in our first reading, from the Gospel of John chapter 10, which is a tremendously encouraging chapter, where Jesus speaks of himself as the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then again he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my own know me. Do you know him this morning? Do you? Have you trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? You see, you can be a churchy anity person. <laughs> right? And sit in church all your life. Sit under the preaching all your life. And still not be converted. I've been there myself. Do you know this shepherd as your shepherd? Because Jesus says to us, I am the good shepherd. I have laid down my life for you. No matter what happens here in this world, understand it from my point of view. I am in control. I am the shepherd who will guide you in this world. And I will take you to eternity because I have laid down my life for you. 
Your life is precious to me. And so, my dear friends, this morning, make your life count for Jesus. Right? And go home and say to God, Lord, I thank you for life. That's what I did this morning. Got up. I took my doggy for a walk. I said, come on, Toby, let's run, man. I ran. And after that, I said, Lord, I want to thank you that you've given me the breath to live and to minister to your precious people this morning. And so you thank God. Say, Lord, I'm glad that you are in charge and I trust you fully. May he encourage you this morning and strengthen you this morning to live for this great God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a shelter in you, Lord, in the midst of all the chaos that goes on in this world. We know that nothing happens outside of your providence, Lord, outside of your sovereignty. Help us to see the events of this world realistically, to understand the times that we are living in. And we look forward to the day of consummation of all things. Help us, Lord, to live with hope in Christ. Live confidently in Jesus. Be assured of our salvation, knowing that our shepherd laid down his life for us, the good shepherd. In the name of Jesus. Amen.